and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. I'm Tash. And I'm Emma. Hello. Hello. Konnichiwa. <laughs> I, was, I was just sat waiting. I was like, what's she going to say? <laughs> what's she going to say? <laughs> oh, are you gorgeous girlies all right? Uh, yeah, good, yeah. thank you. How are you? Uh, I am absolutely fucking wonderful. You just sounded so aggressive. You were like, I'm going to say I am. And then I am. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going to fucking I'm, mean it. I'm so good. You know how good I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also fine. So I'm how, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> how are our listeners? I hope you're all very, very well. Yeah. How are you, everyone? Good to hear that. Yep. Yeah. I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for yeah. coming back, you weirdo. Right. <laughs> I haven't really got a lot this week. I haven't got any listener stories. Um, I've only got one little answer from your song last week, so I don't know. Has anybody got anything else? Any emails received? Anything? No, nothing. It's been a very quiet week. It has been this, like holidays, like the school holidays, and I just think everyone's yeah. shattered. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Hold on. I'll just have a look at the emails while you two talk about stuff and stuff. Well, well, I can say your song from last week was Happy Birthday. Oh, I wanted to guess. Oh, you wanted to guess. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you, did you guess Happy Birthday? I did guess Happy Birthday. I guessed Happy Birthday. So it doesn't count for us anyway, Tash. So don't but guess I wasn't on. I wasn't on last week. When you recorded that. Yeah, but you'd still listen to it. But you? I listened to it like a listener. You still, you're okay, you get a point. Thanks. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> God, she's difficult to manage, guys. <laughs> you you actually had a little bit of a squeak, a squeaky voice like kids do. And I, I didn't, I got left out. I was so impressed with that, that song. Yeah, she did. it was really good. And it was so good that only one listener got it, apart from Tash. And that was Ruth. So well, well done, done, Ruth. Congratulations. Oh, Ruth, Ruth is, is just on it. She is on it like a car bonnet. Absolutely. She's nailing it. I think Ruth is actually like blowing everyone out of the water at the minute, just saying. Go on, Ruth. Yeah. Carry on blowing them out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> Tash made a TikTok. She did make a TikTok oh, about the guy who proposed did. to me. And I, you know, <laughs> luckily I don't give a shit. But he was like, oh, I only wrote that because I thought it was you. Now, for anybody who knows what we look like, Tash and I do not look alike. No, we don't. You're almost opposites. Like, yeah, almost. Oh, oh sorry. Just to swoop in. You know, has anyone tried that youth filter on TikTok? I look exactly to... the same. So do I. I just looked a little <laughs> little bit airbrushed. Yeah. So my ego <laughs> shot through the roof early. I was like, either I looked like a 30-year-old, 16-year-old, <laughs> or I don't look that bad for my age. <laughs> yeah. That's nice for both of you. <laughs> I'm very happy. Let's move away from <laughs> fucking TikTok and its fucking filters. Right. Tinder with Tash? Tinder with Tash. Put on that jingle, I guess. Yeah. Ooh. 
Sit down, you boys and girls, and everyone in between. Story time. Dash has stories for you, both funny and obscene. Ooh. Did she swipe right, swipe left, or find out he had a rash? Ew. We're about to find out, because it's Tinder with Dash. Thank you so much, JT, as always, for that fantastic jingle. Mm-hmm. So, guys, I went out recently on a work night out. Uh, one of my lovely colleagues was leaving, so we went and had some dinner. And because I work in the hospitality business, we always go out on a Sunday night. And we always end up in a bar slash club type place called Vodka Revolutions. So this place happens to do karaoke on a Sunday night, so it's it's actually banging. I really enjoy it. I don't get up there and sing. I know, surprising, I know. But um, it's it's cool. It's fun. You don't get up there and sing? So I sing, but on the sidelines. (laughs) And I probably sing so loud on the sidelines, I might as well be up on stage. But... (laughs) I'm the same. Yeah. I'll be like proper into it from the sidelines, like a little beautiful, very loud, squeechy wallflower. But the minute I get on the microphone, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's almost ridiculous how much I enjoy it from the sidelines. And then the fact that I won't get up there and do it myself. But I feel like you know the words so much better when you're not the one singing the song with the mic. Yeah. And also there's always a light like shining right in your face. Yeah. Well, it's Spotlight, you're the star, baby. Yeah. I mean, I love that everyone looks at me when I'm not on the stage, but I don't want them to look at me on the stage, if that makes sense. Okay. Anyway, so you're at this karaoke place. Yeah. So we haven't even got in yet. They take ID, so even though they know that we're clearly over the age of 18. Well, apparently not, according to fucking TikTok's <laughs> 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 I think it's more if there's like if there's trouble. So if anyone's causing trouble, they've got your ID and then you can be banned. So we're standing to go in. There's about five of us and one of us doesn't have ID. So they're like, oh, it's fine. You can just go in. And then there's this guy standing behind us. He says, oh, I haven't got ID. I said, oh, it's fine. He's with us. He's with us. He wasn't with us. Didn't know this man from Adam. Oh, bless you. You're so lovely. Yeah. I was like, come on, Darren. Come in. Come on, you're right. Come on, Darren. (laughs) Right? Dazza. No, but wait. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes. His name was actually Darren. His name was fucking Darren. (laughs) (laughs) How mad is that? The bouncer was like, uh... Yeah, mate, just go in, you're all right. And then he was like, do I know you? <laughs> I was like, no, Do you, should I know you? He went, my name's actually Darren. I went, no, it's not. I was like, fuck off, are you joking? I was like, oh, well, that's lucky I got you in. Like, have a great night, see you later. Uh, we go to like, there's a bar downstairs and then there's a bar upstairs. So we go downstairs first, go and have some shots. Oh, so he's standing on the stairs and he goes, oh, what's your name? And in my ultimate wisdom, I think now's the time to play a great game of guess my name. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, it's only fair. Yeah, I I bet you can't guess my name. And he went, well, give me a clue. 
I decided to say to him, think of a Russian prostitute's name. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I said it and panicked instantly. I was like, I'm not a Russian prostitute, but if I was, what would I be called? And then my five colleagues are standing behind me, like, looking at me like I've lost my fucking mind. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, no. I was like, no, it's a thing. I was like, so when I was in school in France, there was quite a large Turkish community. And in Turkey, they call Natasha. Natasha is like a Russian prostitute's name. This is obviously quite a, not a niche reference, but I think it's quite a particular reference. I don't think everybody would know that. So he's just looking at me like I'm batshit crazy. I was like, my name's Tash. See you later, Darren. Have a lovely night. And like run off to get, to get <laughs> so shots. So you and then... were basically shouting. You were like, guess my name. I'm Russell, a Russian sex worker's name. Oh, it is a thing. It really is. It really is. My name's Tash. Bye. that was me he's halfway up a massive staircase i'm down the bottom the bouncers are stood behind me my colleagues are stood behind me darren's on the stairs looking down at me i'm panicking because i've just shouted in a club that i'm a russian prostitute and i turned around to the bouncers i went i'm i'm not a sex worker these are my colleagues and it was just (laughs) I mean, who are also not sex workers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, shut up, Tash, come and have another drink. Yeah. So then we go back upstairs uh, to the karaoke room and Darren's there and we get chatting all night, have a lovely evening with Darren and his friend Bart. Yeah, so then he tried to make me guess his friend's name, but I, I didn't guess it. So. I mean, there's no guessing Bart, is there? <laughs> no one's guessing Bart. I think you'd already won the evening from guessing his name anyway. Yeah, he kept saying, I cannot believe you've guessed my name. And he like, oh, he got a, <laughs> he got his passport photo out on his phone and everything. I was like, this is crazy. It's so weird that you went Darren and not Gary as well. Well, yeah. so the names that I use are Gary, Barry, and Darren. Oh, um, they're the three names that I use. I do like the name Darren, though. The only Darren yeah. I know is proper cool. He's a cool dude. I know a couple of Darrens, and they're nice guys. So yeah, we chatted all night, had some drinks together, and um, then he went on to tell me about his wife. So I was like, okay, cool, Aww. bye, Darren. Yeah, bye, Darren. You've ruined it. You've ruined it by being married. By being married, but it could have been love. Yeah. It could have been love, but it's over married. So, yeah, that's Tinder Attached <laughs> this week. I've actually gone through my repertoire of my brain and I've lined up some juicy ones for the next few weeks. So, Ew. I shall save mm. those. Juicy Tinder. Juicy. Squelchy. <laughs> Is it so juicy it's squelchy? Squelch. squelch. Oh, oh, don't say squelchy. I knew you'd hate it. It didn't get to the squelchy part. They're all relatively clean, but weird. Cool. So stay tuned for the next two weeks of Tinder with Tash. Excellent. I've got a little little tiny add-on to the end of Tinder with Tash. Oh, go on. Just because we're kind of on that subject. It was just something... 
a bit like almost a little bit what Tasha just did shouting at Darren from up the stairs. <laughs> we um had organized like a like a housewarming party for the house that we moved in last year. Thanks for the invite. No, no, no. It was just it's just with um just with your real friends. I get it. Yeah, it's just with my husband's friends, a certain little group of friends that they're really hard to group together. So we never did a housewarming party because I can't be bothered with them. And you always get that one asshole that brings confetti and shoves it everywhere. And then you have to no. clean up confetti for years. I'm sorry, yeah. we're not doing confetti in our 30s. Yeah, some people do. Mildly acceptable in your 20s. Yeah, and it's still, it's a really asshole move. I've never done that. I've never brought confetti. Yeah. Not in somebody else's house. If you want to confetti your own house, then crack on, you know. But Yeah, I did what I, what I did once was bring a really smelly cheese around and I hid it in one of their, under the, one of their beds. um but that's neither here nor there anyway um we we'd organized it and it was just we couldn't get everyone round because there's always someone that's not available and then it got to the day of them all coming and two of them had got like the flu they thought they'd got covid but they were just really really ill so we were like well we'll you know it's all right just don't just don't come and then there was just like one couple that was still gonna well, that was still gonna come and see us and then uh, so he rang up my husband and the guy and um he said oh well it's you know it's gonna be a bit intimate evening just meaning that oh that sounds like you're gonna be swinging uh. yeah and and then because no my husband took it that when he was like oh well we can we can all throw our keys into the bowl and you know just like made a swinging joke and he went, oh, man, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, I suppose we could do that. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, but, you know, that would be silly. And, and it just kind of like went on this tangent of, oh, yeah, ha, ha, that would be funny. Ha, ha, ha. Like that. <laughs> so I don't, and no, I was like, uh, uh, no, it's okay. Well, we'll just put it for a different time. But no, said it sounded like in a way that, oh, that he kind of believed that we we really meant it and that it was true and that he was considering it but kind of trying to see if we were joking or not. Oh, God. Oh, no. And I said, it's either that or you just made him feel super awkward and he, like, word vomited at you. But, yeah, so now I I don't really know how I feel about that friend. (laughs) 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 Yeah, they ended up not coming with... We've we've pushed it back to a time where there's more people. If we're all going to swing, might as well have the choice well yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah you want everyone there if you're gonna yeah. swim don't you and no one no one left out eh exactly apart from me apparently <laughs> <laughs> let's start this pod and i am so excited because i think this is a first i don't know why we haven't already done this well because i haven't actually found one on my side that is this exciting but me and Becky this week are collaborating. So you are getting the same story from the true crime side. Ooh, which is me. Yeah. <laughs> and then the... <laughs> and then the aftermath of the haunting that ensued. Ooh. Oh, that ensued. I'm excited for this. I am so excited for this. So shall we? shall we kick it off? Yeah. Our collab story is about Herbert Baumeister. Is it now, Becky? 
Is that what the story's about tonight? Yeah. The I-70 Strangler, babes. Really? So, uh, what was the story we were doing yesterday night? Oh, it's the same one. No, actually, ah. But, yeah, okay. I can uh, come clean. Yesterday, we were all ready to do this story. Well, one of us was. And as I started reading out my story, Emma was like, Becky, you've done the wrong one. So... <laughs> <laughs> When I tried to, I was like, well, how do I pronounce this town? And it was nothing to do with this story. So anyway. <laughs> and my little heart sank because I knew instantly what she'd done. Yeah. Oh, bless you. But it's okay. We're doing it now. We've got it together. Yeah. You were so excited yesterday and I felt so bad. I was. I was really giddy. I'm still excited though. It's still, it's a good thing. A good story. Yeah. Right. So let's get on with this story. The long-awaited... Ba-ba-ba! I, uh, I had to put this story together in under 24 hours, so let's Very have a little, well done. Well, well done, me, but I do apologise yeah. if I may miss a few things out, but we'll see. I think I've got it pretty much complete. It begins with Roger Allen Goodlett. So Roger was a 34-year-old father of two who lived in Indianapolis and worked as a forklift operator. Roger had a troubled past and struggled with addiction issues. He had been in and out of jail a few times and had recently completed a court-ordered drug treatment program. Despite his struggles, those who knew Roger described him as a caring and loyal friend who would do anything for his loved ones. Addiction's a fucker. It don't make you a bad person. No, I don't like... That's why I tend to not like... I don't like putting those in. Unless you're addicted to murdering, and then yes, you are a bad person. Yeah. Yeah, that's not cool. (laughs) Yeah, and it'll explain a few things later on how things didn't move along as quickly as what we wanted it to. He was last seen on the 23rd of June 1993 in the early hours of the morning, getting into a car just outside a gay bar. Roger's friend and like his friend and also his this is where my notes go a bit funny some reports said that this was Roger's friend others said it was his partner so Roger's friend slash partner a guy called Rick I thought Roger was had two kids he did but he that was before and uh he's he's not I don't, he's not with the baby mama he does have two All children, right. but he frequences their gay bars. So um, That happens. Yeah, that's fine. And Rick has known him for about 17 years. When Roger went missing, Rick was kind of shocked. He's just said I, he had absolutely no idea where Roger was. He knew everyone that Roger did too. Roger's mother was extremely worried when she didn't hear from him and when he didn't come home. He was reported missing by his family a few days later when he failed to show up for a family event. His family went to the police where the police said, that's fine, but he's an adult and there's a waiting period before you can officially report someone missing. So can you guess how long you have to wait before you report someone missing? Oh, isn't it like 36 hours or something like that? Emma? Uh, I was going to say two days. One would love to wish that, but no, back then... It was 30 fucking days. What? 30 days. That's ridiculous. 
I think it's because an adult, that it's an adult, and they kind of wanted to make sure that they were definitely missing. Well, it sounds like they wanted to make sure they were definitely dead. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because isn't like time is of the essence, isn't it? Yeah, well, well yeah, not, kind not of. back in 1993, apparently. But 1993 isn't that long ago. I know it's not. Because of that stupid wait time. That's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And also, I think maybe the police found out or knew about the fact that he had an addiction, what, in the past did have an addiction problem. So they're probably just thinking he's out on a bender somewhere. Yeah. So the family decide to hire a personal investigator named Virgil. Go on, Virgil. Yeah, good name, isn't it? Rocking that name. Mm-hmm. I imagine him to have no hair but a beard and be quite That's exactly stocky. how I'm imagining him. <laughs> Wearing a white shirt and jeans. <laughs> um, so anyway, Virgil, he got straight on it, asking around all of like the bars where Roger was last seen, talking to all of his friends, all of the acquaintances, all the other people in like the community. You know, lots of people were very forthcoming with, with information because they knew who he was. And then a few days into this investigation, Virgil was contacted by another family with a son called Alan, who was also missing, and he also frequented this, uh, the same scene. The family thought that police weren't taking the report seriously because they were homosexual men and they weren't high on their priority list. Sounds about right. Which probably was true. The private investigator decided to stake out the local gay bars and ask as many questions as possible until something came up. They eventually found the witness that saw Roger getting into a car just down the street from the club. It was a blue car and it had a Ohio license plate, but it was too far to get a, the actual plate number. Uh, unfortunately, Roger and his family had a caring friend called Tony, and Tony offered to assist in any way possible. So he went along with the PI and Roger's family, started putting up missing posters with Roger's picture all over the gay bar scene they frequented. One night while Tony was out, he noticed a man sitting at the bar, staring at one of the posters in a really strange way, just like creepy vibes and he was also like licking his lips as he was staring at this poster tony's instincts kind of kicked in and he had a feeling that this man knew something about this disappearance yeah i'm with tony yeah so a gut feeling despite his doubts and fears tony made his way over to the man the man said his name was brian smart now, while the whole time that I was researching this, I was pronouncing this in my head, brain smart. I was like, what's such a weird name? Why would anyone <laughs> say, oh, my name's brain smart? <laughs> Your name's definitely not brain smart, is it, babe? It's definitely not. <laughs> I was oh, like, brain bless- smart. Anyway, Brian, his name. Yeah. So Tony hesitated wondering maybe this was just a guy that wasn't used to coming into these type of bars yet maybe he was married you know that's probably why he was acting a bit weird maybe he was overreacting yeah after they were chatting for a while eventually brian not brain brian invited (laughs) tony back to his place saying that he was looking after his boss's house 
So he was like, yeah, cool, whatevs. So they both get into Brian's car and they oh, drive God. north out of the city. Tony, no! Down dark country roads. Mm. And as they were getting like further and further away, Tony was thinking, this was a great idea. I am so glad that I put myself in this position. I bet he wasn't. I bet he was thinking, fuck. Fucky yeah. fuck, fuck. Yeah. Fuck, fuck. He was also doubting himself. Like, am I just being suspicious of everybody? No, Tony. Go with that instinct. Go with that gut. So they eventually came to a long, curving driveway. And Tony saw that there was a sign that went by quickly. So it just said something farms on the sign. And then it came up to the house and it was kind of blown over by the size of the house. It was like a mansion. So he was probably thinking, oh, this isn't that bad. So they both go in the house. Brian started acting a little weird. So another red flag, massive red flag flying around. Brian was acting weird. Brian went to the toilet. Brian came out of the toilet and acted a little bit more cheery. So... Brian had a massive wank or a massive shit. Who massive shit. Thing? It was probably a little bit... You know when you get, like, a bit skitty when you don't really know? <laughs> you know you need a poo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're a bit like, oh, fuck off, let me go for a poo. Tony probably thought that Brian might have taken some drugs or something to bring him back up to his high. Ah. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah. more sense. <laughs> <laughs> sort of I'm like, yes, he had a massive shit or a wank. Actually, no, maybe he needed a shit. No. <laughs> I think we're innocent little souls. Oh, he went yeah. to the toilet. He needed a poo. <laughs> yeah, he needed a poo. In reality, he was probably getting off his tits, wasn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, Brian was acting weird, but not serial killer weird. Just a little bit weird. For now. Tony was, like, super doubting himself, thinking, well, I might as well just enjoy my night. Then Brian asked Tony if he wanted to go for a swim in the indoor pool. And when Tony went into this pool room, it was full of mannequins. That's creepy. That is like a scene from a horror film though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mannequins though. How horrible. Don't like them. Horrible. And the mannequins weren't just like stuck in a corner like for storage. No, they were lying around the pool room in like different positions. Who's put them there? A serial killer. Brian. Who? Uh, what's he doing? Go, <laughs> going around collecting them for days? Like, where does he get them? Like, I've so many questions about the mannequins. Yeah. And, like, they were, like, one of them was, like, lying on the floor, like, on its side with, like, holding its head up with one of its hands, like, in, like, a beach pose. And one was lying on a little chair. It's very so strange. Weird. Didn't Jeffrey Dahmer have a mannequin? Yeah. yeah, he did, yeah. Brian told him that his boss didn't like to be alone and that's why there are mannequins everywhere. Tony added it to the list of weird fucking things that were going on. Yeah, can I go home now, please? Yeah. Tony was like, well, there's a pool here. I'm going to go swimming. So Tony was oh, swimming Tony. around in the pool. Brian asked if Tony had ever heard of autoerotic asphyxiation. Tony was like, oh, I'm going to get out of the pool now. So to Tony got out of the pool. Good shout, Tony. Yeah. Brian said that he super enjoyed this. And he said, you know, like, doing that is an enormous rush. Tony should really try it. Uh-huh. Tony agreed to this. Oh, Tony, come what on are you now, doing? Tony. 
I think, though, he just wanted to know. And also, I think Tony was one of those, I'll try anything once, time of guys. You know, I'll go to a mannequin house with people around the pool. I won't strangle myself. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll let someone strangle me. Oh. Brian got a pool hose and wound <sighs> it round Tony's neck. Jesus. And started pulling. But then Tony realised that Brian was actually pulling the hose tighter and tighter. And that's when Tony thought, well, this guy is actually trying to kill me. I can't breathe. And he was struggling. So Tony had a great idea, the fact that he was going to play dead. So he stopped struggling, played dead. And that's when Brian released him um, not long afterwards. Yeah. When Tony opened his eyes, Brian looked really surprised. Like, oh my God, you're still alive. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, whoops. And Tony was now sure more than ever that Brian Smart was killing people. Yeah. The mannequins gave it away, really. Yeah. This is the bit where if I'd had a little bit more time, I would have tried to look into more. My sources went different ways. I'll read the one that I think is right. So... Tony told Brian then that he thought that Brian was behind the disappearance of his friend and that he was going to go to the police. And apparently Brian laughed and said, no one will believe you. He's gotten away with it before. Why would today be any different? He's got some balls. Somebody's just tried to kill him. He's not died. And now he's looking him straight in the face and saying, I'm going to go and dob you in. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't recommend doing that. No. I'd recommend playing dumb and getting the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. But then in other sources, that didn't happen. But I've definitely heard that one, that version, a few times. And then zero information of how the fuck he got out of there. I don't know if he dropped him back in the city. What happened? How he got away? I don't know. Surely he didn't drop him off. Can you imagine... I've just tried to kill you, but I'll give you a lift home if you want. Yeah, the sources that I had say that he escaped, but he was incapable of showing anyone where the house was, like the police or anything. He could describe it. He knew that it said something farms on the sign. He could describe the, the drive and that it had an indoor pool. It was a really big house and roughly how long it was outside the city, but that was it. He couldn't really say anything else and it was dark you know when they went yeah but surely that was enough i mean that cuts it down pretty slim yeah you'd think you'd think but not really with the very little effort by the police up to this point mainly because of you know the 30 day wait and all that unbeknownst to tony brian had been doing this for quite a long time so this is why he was super cocky because he thinks that he could get away with anything. He's been doing this for years. Mm. The next day, Tony filed a a police report stating that a man by the name of Brian Smart had tried to kill him, and he thinks that he killed one of his friends. The 30-day rule thing had passed by then, and despite Tony's description of the house and of the man, the police couldn't find him. Brian was still in contact with Tony, though, And they said that, see if there was any way that they could set up a sting. What do you mean they were still in contact? They were still in contact. Right, this is another thing, because there were mobile phones in the 90s, weren't they? 
Yeah. Well, yeah, okay, but they weren't widely used. Not everyone No, they weren't widely phone. used. But I think they had the most... This is why it gets really blurry. And it's just like so many of the... When you look for sources, as you know, Emma, so many of the things, just the same thing, copy, paste, copy, paste. And it's hard yeah. to get new information. It looked like it was mobile phones, but back then they weren't traceable as what they are now. Like you have your number. If you give your number to the police, they'll trace, they'll know exactly who that number is registered to. Yeah. So it was either burner phones or no one knew whose number was what back then. Okay. You're going to have to just take that information and deal with it. (laughs) Okay. The police were worried for Tony thinking, actually, Brian probably is going to try and kill him because it's a loose end, isn't he? So they tried to get Brian to meet Tony so that they could figure out who he was, but Brian didn't show. So whether he suspected that police were involved, I don't know, just changed his mind, but he didn't show. You know, all when this was going on, the killings continued. The Marion County Sheriff's Department had begun investigating the ever-increasing number of bodies found along the I-70 and now in several local rivers as well. They'd actually linked it back to what they suspected was the same person, and that earned him the nickname, the I-70 Strangler. They were well aware that they had a serial killer on their hands, but they were no closer to catching him. All changed in 1995, when Tony, famous Tony, still keeping an eye out for this guy all the time, actually spotted the same blue car with Ohio plates lurking around local gay bars close to the one where they had met. So what he did is he ran over and collected the license plate number and sent the information along to the police. Go on, Tony. Yes. Well, Tony's doing all the work, apparently. Yeah, Tony is like Sergeant Tony now. Yeah. That's when police would learn that Brian Smart is... Herbert Baumeister. Dun, dun, dun. He was using a fake name. Yeah, brain smart people use names. (laughs) Yeah. And his address matched Tony's description and was called Fox Hollow Farm. Who is Herb? Herbie Herb Herb. Herbert Baumeister was born on the 7th of April, 1947 in Indianapolis, Indiana, United States. He was the oldest of four siblings and grew up in a Catholic family. Herbert attended high school at Warren Central High School in Indianapolis, where he was known for being intelligent, but also introverted and socially awkward. He started to develop a fascination with death. He began to divulge in antisocial behaviour through obscene jokes and pranks, he wasn't afraid to blurt out his thoughts around other boys in the class. Herb enjoyed thinking about urophilia, which is people that drink urine. Oh, nice. So apparently he used to ponder aloud of what it would be like to taste human urine and then began chasing other boys around asking for a drink. So he wasn't very popular at school, I imagine. No, not with the people that that are not into pissing on people. Yeah. Which was everyone. Yeah. (laughs) 
Herbert also enjoyed playing with dead animals. Of course he did. Yeah, and urinating on teachers' desks. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It's like a power play, isn't it? Yeah. In his teens, his behaviour caught his father's attention. So he sent him off for mental examinations. Herbert was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and antisocial personality disorder, but did not receive any further psychiatric treatment. His father was like, something wrong with you. Go to the doctor. Doctor told him what it was and he was like, oh, we, well, we know what it is now. That's it. No treatment. No help. Right. So that was great. Yeah. And because the school that Herbert attended focused on sports activities, Herbert would never be part of the, quote, in crowd and just didn't blend in. Well, no, because he keeps asking everybody to piss in his mouth. Yeah. (laughs) It's somewhat (laughs) off-putting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this weird behaviour earned him the best nickname in the world, which was Herbert the Pervert. (laughs) (laughs) Herbert the Perv. Oh, it wrote itself, didn't it? Yeah. Herbert the Pervert. Oh, kids are mean, but he is weird. They're all weird kids. And then there's piss on me kids. Come on. Yeah. Although I did go to school with somebody who in the middle of the class got up and pissed in the bin. What? <laughs> what? How did you react to that? Well, I think we were all stunned. I think it was just like nervous laughter. And then he got suspended. Oh, well, yeah. What did he say? Oh, well, my parents do it. I, I can't remember. This was ages ago. He was called Sebastian, I know that much. Sebastian, you bin pisser. Yeah. <laughs> bin pisser. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so after high school, he attended the Indiana University in Bloomington, where he did a course in business studies. He dropped out of college in 1969 and moved to Ohio. This is where he would meet Juliana, so Julie, she was called by everyone. So Juliana Sater. They married in November 1971, a union that produced three children. Six months after his marriage, he was committed to a psychiatric hospital by his father for two months. Why? Because he was depressed. Okay. His wife said he was hurting and needed help. So fair enough. Yeah. Right. And then when he got out, he went and worked for his father's company, which was called Savastop. It's like a little DIY shop. And he eventually became president of the company and the business took off and started making a fortune in the 1980s. He was a fucking weirdo, though, even at work. Apparently, one day he saved a cake. I don't know if it was a slice of an entire cake. And pissed on it. No, he didn't piss on it. <laughs> pissed on it and gave it to, out to everyone he kept it in the drawer of his desk at work so that he could observe it decaying that is weird it is a bit weird isn't it yeah i just think waste a cake that cake would not last in my drawer <laughs> i mean i think it's weird because we know he's <laughs> I'm justifying this. But I think it's weird because we know that he's weird. But I think it could be interesting to see how it decayed. I once watched a documentary about McDonald's and there's this woman that's had a Big Mac 
in her purse for like 10 years and it hasn't changed. That's terrifying. Stuff like that is mildly interesting, isn't it? I mean, yes, it is interesting, but it's also a bit of a weird thing to do at work. (laughs) If you're going to do that, do it at home in like your basement. Don't do it in your desk at work. Oh, don't open that drawer. That's my cake rotting drawer. Yeah. In front of your assistant, Cheryl. You'd be like, "Don't, don't go in that drawer, Cheryl. That's my cake drawer. It smells a bit in there. Yeah. Yeah, his business was doing well, but after a few years, the business began to fail. The strain on their financial problems took a toll on the marriage and led his wife, Julie, to begin spending the weekends at her mother-in-law's condo. So she'd spend the weekends away from her husband, which was like the cats away and the mice. Will play. Will play. So Herbie, Herbie, Dervy, Pervy. Stay behind. (laughs) And he so he stayed behind, claiming that he needed to look after the store. But what Julie didn't know is that he was using his spare time to cruise local gay bars, bringing men back to his home and killing them. So police, once they figured out who he was, went and confronted Herbie, who obviously denied everything. They asked to search his property. He was like, nope, you're not doing that. So they tried to get a warrant. They contacted the judge in the area where Herb lives. And the judge was like, no, you're not having the warrant. This is a local businessman. And I don't want his reputation ruined. Come back with more evidence. Because he said that Tony, probably because he was a homosexual... I'm just speculating that, that this is why the judge said no. Said that he was an unreliable witness. <sighs> I do think it was because he's gay. Why else would he be unreliable? <laughs> Probably. They found a little bit more evidence, but it was still circumstantial. They went back again, and again, he denied the warrant. In November, uh, later that year, police found out that Herbert had moved out of the family home. Police thought, hey... This is a good idea. Newly separated couple, that wife's going to hate him. She'll probably be like, yeah, yeah, totally. Search the house. So they went and knocked on her door, told Julie that they suspected her husband was a, quote, homosexual murderer. And then Julie was like, you what? What what does that mean? So they explained that he had been going out to gay bars, picking up men and killing them. And she was like, no way. She was like, I don't like him at the minute, but he's not a homosexual. They had actually got together because of their really right-wing view of everything. Okay. So they were like, possibly a little bit homophobic. So Mm. didn't believe it at first and said no. But later, she remembered the fact that her young son had once brought home a human skull he found in the woods on their property. That'll do it. Hold on. <laughs> and she only remembered that, surely. That's something you yeah, like. Yeah, she was like, actually, yeah. <laughs> now you come to mention it. <laughs> yeah. And the way that Herbert reacted to it, suspicious as fook. So Herbert told Julie that the skeleton was part of a anatomical display that his father had kept because Herbert's father was a doctor. Right. And that's how he kind of explained that away. Why was it in the garden? Yeah, he was like, oh, I chucked it in the garden when we moved here. 
Oh, as you do. Obviously, I'll just go and chuck that in the woods. So he went and cleaned it up. And stuck it on the mantelpiece. (laughs) I don't know where he put it. Julie also told police, well, not straight away, but this came out a bit later, but her and her husband had only been sexually intimate six times in their over 25-year marriage. Oh, Julie. I mean, Julie, we hope you have a rabbit. And also, you'd question that, wouldn't you? Yeah. And also, super fertile. Super fertile. Ovaries of steel and sperm of, well, massive sperm. Oh, let's not talk about her, the perv sperm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And also, she never saw her husband naked. So it must have been awkward missionary in the dark. Would she not question that sooner? Well, obviously not, Tash. I don't know why. She probably couldn't be asked. He probably, I don't know. Maybe he was really, really bad at it and she was just like, thank fuck he doesn't want it because it's shit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Julia had a few of the old uh, side piece. Maybe the gardener, something like that. I hope she did. I hope for her. Yeah. You've got to get your kicks where you can, Drew. Yeah, so Julia agreed to let the police carry out a search where they uncovered human remains. With the news that the bodies had been discovered, Herb vanished. His body was eventually found eight days later in Canada. He left a three-page suicide note where he apologised for spoiling the scenery of the Canadian park where he killed himself. He also apologised for his failing marriage, crumbling business and did not mention anywhere about the missing men or the bones found on his farm. Coward. So he was a wanker that just uh, took the easy way out. Yeah. So in 1999, investigators announced that they had identified the remains of eight men found on Herbert's property. So the victims' names were Johnny Bayer, or Bayer, 20, Alan Wayne Broussard, 28, Roger Allen Goodlett, 33, Richard D. Hamilton, 20, Stephen Hale, 26, Jeff Jones, 31, Michael Kean, 46, Manuel Resendez, 31. In 1999, investigators announced that they believed that Herbert was responsible for the deaths of nine more men and teenage boys whose bodies were left in shallow streams across central Indiana and western Ohio between 1980 and 1990. So this looks like that was his dumping grounds before they moved to the mansion. Yeah. Uh, And it was after they moved that the bodies that were turning up in that area just suddenly stopped yeah that is somewhat suspicious yeah there were bone fragments and pieces like scattered all over his land and his lands were like there was 15 acres so that's quite big yeah uh, of an area to search the hamilton county coroner jeff jellison announced in 2022 that he hopes modern DNA technology will help identify the remains of more than one dozen people that were found on Herbert's property that still haven't been identified. There was eight identified. Yeah. Nine? Nine in streams. And then another 12 that haven't been identified. Yeah, up to 12 that haven't been identified yet. That's a lot of dead people. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Jeff Jellison says that for the past 26 years, these people, are, their remains have just been placed on a shelf at the University of Indianapolis, and that's not acceptable. He no. says that they need to make every effort possible to identify these people and return them to their loved ones. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, so DNA testing now is a lot easier, faster and cheaper than what it was in the 90s, and Jellison is urging anyone from Indiana and nearby states who have male relatives that went missing in the mid-80s to mid-90s to provide DNA samples that will be compared to samples from the nearly 10,000 bone fragments found on Herbert's farm. Ugh. Yeah. It's so weird that we... Because ha- I personally had never heard about this guy, but he must be up there with the, like killed a ridiculous amount of people yeah that was just literally the next sentence that i've got here is while we may never know exactly how many people herbert baumeister killed police estimate that he may have been responsible for 20 to 30 deaths if true this death toll makes him one of the most prolific serial killers in the history of indiana what piece of shit yeah I'm glad Herbert the pervert is got at least... Pissy pants. Pissy pervert. Pissy perv. Pissy herv. Oh, there's so many more nicknames. They could have really got created with that one. But yeah, that's my side. Right. Well, thanks for that, Becky. What an absolute... Piece of shit. Piece of shit. Yeah. As always. There's just no other words, is there? We always call them a piece of shit, but there's just no other words. To quote what we say every time we finish this podcast, why don't fucking kill people? What are people doing? Yeah. Ah, I mean, his dad had the right idea. He went and got him to be assessed, but literally nothing happened after that. Yeah, like give give him some medication. Help him, yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Hey. But go Tony. I think the real hero of the story is Tony, to be fair. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think uh, the PI was really involved as well. He helped the police a lot. But once the police actually realised, actually, maybe there's quite a lot of people that have died, maybe we should look into this, they would have taken over it more. Yeah. 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 It took Tony and Virgil and the victim's families pushing. They had to really push to get police to take it seriously. Yeah, and that's sad and terrible. And 30 days is a ridiculous amount of time stupid. to wait if somebody goes missing. Well, it's stupid. And do you remember a while ago I did a story about a girl where a guy that she was seeing like lured her into the woods and he thought that he broke her neck and just left her in the yeah, woods? Yeah, yeah. It was her teacher or something, wasn't it? Her school teacher, a sports teacher or something like that. Yeah. And if they'd have waited 30 days, that was it. She was dead. They only yeah. just managed yeah. to rescue her and they were on it straight away. Oh. oh yeah, 100%. 30 days is insane. It's just ridiculous. And Herbert's own cockiness got him caught because if he'd have killed Tony, he'd have been fine. He'd have kept killing. Yeah. It doesn't bear thinking about. No. How many more would he have gone? You know, he w- oh, doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah. I would say let's stick a trailer on to get Herb the perv out of our brains but we're gonna stick a trailer on and i'm still gonna talk yeah. about herb the perv yeah. i'm afraid herbert the pervert yeah 
Have a trailer. Have a trailer. Here you are. Are you into the spooky and macabre? Is your inner witch dying to learn more about what makes the world magical? Do you occasionally crave nerdy horror content from film and RPGs? Well, have we got a podcast just for you. Join the squad at Mission Spooky where Kiki, JC, and Cord research some of the scariest historical places from Pennsylvania. Listen to our ghost stories and legends. Learn as we delve into the world of history, magic, and folklore. And be entertained with our D&D 5e RPG segment, Cordverse Cryptid. Find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and follow us on Spotify, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And remember, stay spooky. And don't die. But if you do, contact us. Beautiful. We did it in one, baby. I think that's f***ing golden. Yeah, we're so professional. Okay, right. Thanks for the trailer. Yes, indeed. So, to continue this story, in 2006, so not actually that long after this all came about, because you said it was 1999, didn't you? Yeah, that it kind of all came to a head, yeah. So in 2006, the Graves family, so Rob and Vicky and their two teenage sons, had had enough of city life and wanted to find a house that was more secluded. They visited a property called Fox Hollow Farm. It was gorgeous. But it smelled of piss. (laughs) (laughs) It was gorgeous. Everything they wanted. Tons of bedrooms, an indoor pool surrounded by woodland, and it was really cheap. And it was Rob who was wondering why it was so reasonably priced that he remembered the name Fox Hollow Farm. And he asked the agent, wait, was this Herb Bowmeister's house? The agent was honest and said yes, it was, and that yes, that's why the price is so low, no one wanted to live in a serial killer's house, especially one that kept the remains of his victims nearby. But he reassured them that the developer that had bought the property from Herb's ex-wife had gutted everything and it was all renovated like new and there was absolutely nothing left in the house that had been around when it had been owned by Herb. Rob and Vicky talked it over and decided that it didn't really bother them and that the house was so gorgeous it would be a shame to miss such an opportunity. So they bought it. Braver than me, that's for sure, I'd have run for the hills. Oh, yeah, I don't think I'd feel comfortable. Nah. Especially when the bodies were buried on the property. Yeah. It's just... But it is a gorgeous house. We'll post photos yeah, it of def- this it, property. It is gorgeous. And, like, everything about it, the drive and the way... Yeah, it is gorgeous. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, it wouldn't be for me, I don't think. Nah. Of course, as you can imagine, as it's me telling this story... They did not live happily ever after in their new perfect home. If anywhere is going to be haunted, I'm pretty sure a serial killer's old house is going to be top of the list. Yeah. The first incident happened to Vicky. She was hoovering around the indoor pool area as her boys used it all the time and they would traipse in gravel and mud and it was time to give it a good clean. So she's cleaning and the vacuum dies. She looks over to see the plugs being pulled out from the socket. She assumes that she'd just pulled too hard on the wire and she'd pulled it out herself. Like, we've all done that, right? Oh, I literally do that every single time. Yeah. 
because I'm too lazy to unplug it and put it in a closer plug. Exactly. We've all done it. I have a wireless one. Oh, shut up, Becky. <laughs> I'd forget to charge that. I do all the time. <laughs> I forget to charge it. And then it's so <laughs> annoying. Then you have to go old school with a broom. So she plugs it back in and she goes back to hoovering only for the hoover to die again. And she looks back, the plug's out of the socket again. But this time it's like a few metres away from the socket and the wire is like all loose. You know, if she'd have pulled it, the wire would have been tense. Yeah, like someone had unplugged it and chucked the plug away. Yeah, exactly. She's confused that this has happened again, but she plugs it back in. And this time she just watches it and she sees the plug fly out of the socket like it was being pulled by an extremely strong invisible force. It kind of just jumped out of the plug into the air. She wasn't even hoovering. That is horrendous. It was Herbert. The noise from the hoover was disturbing him while he was playing with his mannequins. Maybe. Hmm. The next strange occurrence would also be witnessed by Vicky. She'd just come home and as she got out the car, Rob called her over to look at some painting he'd been doing. The two were discussing how great the house was going to look after a fresh coat of paint. When Vicky became distracted, she'd seen a man wearing jeans and a red t-shirt walking across their property. And as she watched him, she realised that he'd got no legs from the thighs down. Oh my God. And then he just vanished into the tree line. She told Rob, who assumed it was a trespasser. After all, this was a serial killer's house and sadly it attracted many a curious visitor wanting a sneak peek. You know, those people that... Yeah. You know. The pair went over and began calling out to the person, but they saw and heard nobody. Rob worked at a car dealership and one of his colleagues, Joe LeBlanc, was always late. Rob asked him, what's going on? Why are you never on time? And Joe said that he lived miles away and the traffic's always horrendous and that ideally he really needs to find somewhere closer. This gets Rob thinking. There's a side apartment attached to the property with a bedroom, an ensuite bathroom, kitchen and living area that him and Vicky had been thinking about renting out. Even though it was attached to their house by a door, so you could go into the two kind of properties through this door, it did have its own entrance, so it could be perfect for Joe. Yeah. So he asked Joe, obviously telling him about the history of the place, and Joe agrees that it sounds perfect. And so Rob helps Joe move with his dog called Fred. Oh, hi, Fred. So on that first night, Joe had a horrible nightmare where he's running from something. He's not sure what, but he knows he's running for his life. The dream is so scary that even after waking up, he leaps out of bed and keeps running. And he oh. runs straight into a door frame and falls, knocking over a glass in the process that cuts his hand quite badly. As he lays there, stunned and bleeding, he puts the nightmare down to knowing about the history of the place and it being his first night and his senses were probably on high alert and all that. Yeah. So the next day, Joe is doing some washing up and he hears a knock at the door. Because as I said earlier, it's got its own private entrance. Thinking it's either Vicky or Rob, he shouts, I'll be there in a minute. But the knocking continues and gets gradually louder and louder. So he shouts again, I'm coming, hold on. When he gets to the door, he opens it, and no one's there. 
He looks around, confused, to see if anyone is at the bottom of the wooden stairs that led up to the apartment. No one. He scans the area. No one. There's no way anyone would have had the time to just vanish as he opened the door literally seconds after the last knock. Unnerved, he comes back inside and sits down, trying to make sense of what's just happened. And then, out of the corner of his eye, he sees something move. He quickly turns to look and he sees a man going to his bedroom. His dog, Fred, also sees the person and starts to growl. This is very unlike Fred. He loves everyone and he never really barks or makes any noise at all. But he too sensed that something was very, very wrong here. Joe cautiously went to look inside his bedroom. Again, braver man than me, because I would have run the fuck away. (laughs) Yeah, same. He goes to look in his bedroom, where logically, he would come face to face with the intruder. But again, he is met with nothing. Just his bedroom, nothing out of the ordinary. He decides it's definitely time to leave for a bit, and decides to take Fred for a walk. He went by Vicky and Rob's house to see if they were up to ask if they'd been knocking at his door, but their house was in darkness. They were obviously in bed asleep. He turns round to walk back when Fred spots something in the woods and shoots off. Joe chases him to bring him home. But when he finds Fred, Fred's lying down, belly up, in a submissive position. And there, Joe sees a man in a red t-shirt and blue jeans. The man is staring directly at Joe. Joe instinctively starts running home as quickly as he can, followed very closely by Fred. At this point, he doesn't know what to believe. Is he imagining all this because of the house's murderous past? Is he going mad? He somehow manages to sleep, and the next day he tells Vicky and Rob everything. He's surprised because he can see the look of shock on Vicky's face. It's then that she tells him that she also saw a man in a red t-shirt and blue jeans walking towards the woods. That evening, Joe is scared. The atmosphere in his apartment is heavy. He's almost expecting something terrifying to happen. And then it does. Someone. (laughs) You okay there, girls? Yeah. Yeah. Someone or something starts knocking at his door again. Why? What with the knocking? Over and over. Bang, bang, bang. So loud he can visibly see the door shake from the force of the knocks. He plucks up the courage to go look. But upon opening the door, there's no one there. The door knocker, however, is still in the lifted position as if some invisible force is holding it up. And then Joe sees it release for one last knock. What makes me feel physically sick? I think I would actually be sick. Or or (laughs) shit myself. Something would happen. Some fluid would come out somewhere. It literally (laughs) makes me feel so sick. He slams the door shut and locks it. He backs away, but to his horror, he then sees the doorknob start to turn and shake as if someone was trying to force their way in. The door eventually flies open with a huge gust of wind, breaking the lock. Joe gets up and runs to the door quickly, sticks his head outside to check that it's not an intruder, but there's no one there. It's not even windy. When he turns around, he locks eyes with a man. He's dripping wet and screaming. A look of sheer panic on his face. 
He runs past Joe to the outside and vanishes. Oh, do you think it's like a, almost like a memory of what happened? Or do you think it's more of a ghost, that part? That, I don't know. It could be either, couldn't it? And it's equally It could be either. Yeah. I'm assuming that would be one of his victims if he was like dripping wet and scared and like freaked out. Yeah. Mm. Oh, bless. Joe goes straight over to Vicky and Rob's house and tells them what's just happened. They definitely now are all thinking that the place is haunted and come to the conclusion that they must be seeing the victims of Herb Bowmeister. After all, what's less scary, thinking you're being haunted by a helpless victim or that you're being haunted by the ghost of a serial killer? They start googling the case and pull up photos of the victims. Joe says, wait, stop, on one of the photos. That's him, that's the guy that was screaming and was all wet. Kind of reassured by the fact that the ghosts are the victims of Bowmeister, Joe returns home. For the next few days, nothing happens. All is quiet, and so Joe begins to think that perhaps that's it, that it's all over. He's out with Fred in the woods when he sees, plain as day, poking up from the ground, a bone. Oh, for God's sake. He picks it up and is pretty sure it's human. He can't understand why nobody found this during the searches for the victim's remains as it was literally just lying there. He takes a bone to the Graves house and they call the case investigator and submit it for forensic evidence. The anthropologist confirmed it was indeed a human femur bone. Joe had a friend over one day and the two plus the Graves' sons were all having fun in the pool. When Joe felt someone put their fingers around his neck, fingers were freezing cold. He turned round to see which friend was messing with him, but the other three were all at the other end of the pool. Frightened, he starts to swim towards them, only for it to happen to him again in the middle of the pool. This time he feels like he's being pulled under. He screams at everybody to get out of the pool. Joe never went swimming in that pool again. I don't blame him. One evening, Joe was just chilling in his apartment and he hears a strange scraping sound, a metallic sound, coming from the kitchen. He goes to look and he sees that all the knives from his butcher's block have been taken out and neatly lined up. He also sees deep scratches in the wooden kitchen cabinet. Now he'd seen the ghost shows in the past and he thought he'd try to communicate with the ghost using EVP, so electronic voice phenomena. He gets his voice recorder out and starts asking questions. Who's here with me? Who's doing this? He turned off the fridge and the TV and any other appliances that could potentially interfere with the recordings. He felt a bit stupid walking around his apartment asking questions to thin air, but he kept at it for about 10 minutes or so. He went to check the audio on his computer, not expecting to hear anything, except he did. He picked up a clear male voice answering his question, who's here with me? The voice said, the married one. He frantically looks up at all the victims. They were all single. The only married one was Bowmeister himself. The graves continued to find bones on the property. The last bone that was found was in 2022. All these new finds are being identified and will no doubt add more victims to Bowmeister's gruesome killing spree. The Graves and Joe came to the conclusion that Joe was getting the worst of the haunting as he was just Herb's type, a single, white, male in his 30s. 
Was Baumeister trying to get himself one last victim? One thing's for sure, although he is gone, his evil energy is still lingering at Fox Hollow Farm. What a fucking creep in life and in death. Yeah. How horrifying, though. Like, awful. I don't think I could go in the pool room. I think that's the scariest room in there. Yeah. Well, again, I don't know what details of the case they were aware of or anything like that. But yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I just couldn't live there full stop. No, me neither. Horrific, horrific. And so, like, she was freaking out the the dogs. Well, you know, the animals and stuff. And with him being the way that he was with animals, I was getting a bit worried. Oh, for the doggy, for Fred. Yeah, yeah. That's horrible. And I hate it. My take on that is that the two apparitions that they saw so they both saw the red man in the blue jeans i think he was leading them to the bones that joe found oh yeah maybe and obviously the wet man that was screaming was a victim but all the knocking and all that scary fucking shit i think that was bowmeister yeah being a twat that's my take on it definitely yeah i found a little a little side story. But you know how I said that he wasn't very nice to, to you know, to animals and, and everything? Mm. Well, mm. he had, like, a fascination with death and dead animals and stuff. He appeared on, like, a little news report on, a, like, a local news station in the 90s regarding, like, a dead raccoon. The raccoon was left on the road. And you know those people that go and paint, you know, the paint, the lines on the road. Yeah. Well, whoever had painted had painted right over the raccoon. All instead right. of moving the raccoon out oh, of the way. Oh, that's a fucking job's worth, isn't it? Yeah. Instead of moving the raccoon out of the way, they just painted over him. And because Herb's such a weirdo, he went and got his little Polaroid camera and took a lot of pictures. Oh. Someone reported that he, and given his name had reportedly took photographs, the local news contacted him, and there's like a little video on YouTube where you can watch him act like he was outraged about this ra- raccoon and uh, and how, uh, how it's terrible that they didn't have any respect for an animal that had died and a load of shite. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, he, I think it was just he had to act that way because he got caught taking pictures. Yes. Basically. Someone saw him took pictures and then he was like, oh, it's terrible. I'm going to report it to the papers. And then someone actually did it. And then he had to go on telly and be act all outraged by it. What a manipulative little shit. Yeah. Uh, have you seen what he looks like? Uh, Vaguely, yeah. He just looks like the most normal looking serial killer ever. He yeah. doesn't really even look they that evil. They all look normal though, babe. I don't know. I think a lot of them, because the photos that they put on the serial killer like mugshots, they always look really evil. Whereas because he didn't really have a mugshot, it was just like a normal picture. He just looks really normal. Well, that's how he got him. I don't know. He just looks way more normal than usual. He just looks like a banker. That's what he looks like. Mm. Anyway, mm. there you go. From start to yeah. finish, Herb Bowmeister, our first collaboration. Yeah. Pervy. Herbie. Well done, girls. I enjoyed it. Oh, okay. I'm glad. I hope everybody else did too. Now, I have got a horror song. Oh, I thought you were going to shout at us. Now, listen. <laughs> listen, listen to up. me. It's odd. 
that's all I'm going to say about it. It's odd. Does it mention pissing? It does not mention pissing. Oh my God, because I was going to be like, oh my God, another time that we've like got same brain. We could have had same brain yesterday and you could have told me with your brain that I was doing the wrong story. Yeah, we definitely weren't telepathic yesterday, were we? We were too telepathic for two (laughs) weeks running before, that's why. Yeah, there was no telepathy left. My brain smart was all run out. (laughs) Brain brain smart. Go on then. Anyway, do you want to hear this song? song? Yeah, please. My girlfriend has lost her goddamn mind. I didn't notice at first, it was just little changes. She let her hair grow down to her knees and she started shuffling around instead of walking. I could tell she was around by the sound she would make. She started rambling about nonsensical things, juju eyeballs and monkey fingers. I'm getting really worried, even her sexual urges are strange. When we have people over, she asks them to come together over her. It's sick and sordid, and I'm getting more and more afraid. She laughs maniacally, saying, Look at my feet below my knees. She says she just wants me to be free. I have no idea what's going on, but I think we need a priest. Oh, I can hear her now. Wait, is that a knife? Oh God, she's hit me straight in the spine. I heard the crack. She's screaming. I just wanted you to come together over me. I should have paid more attention to the early warnings. There you go. When you say... Well, I have no idea. No, I have no idea. But when you say come together, are you saying actually that come, she wants people to ejaculate, ejaculate over Ejaculate. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. For anybody that knows this song, and a lot of people will know the song, it will be very obvious what it is. You're so, so good at these. Do you think? I thought that one was shit. Mate, I'm so rubbish at them. I basically do the same thing every single time. That was great. That was great. Anyway, let's um, wrap this up. Done. Instead of doing all our social media and everything, if you want any of that, it's all in the description of the episode. I just really would love it if you've enjoyed this episode that you leave us a review somewhere because it really counts. The more reviews we get, the more visible we become. Because when people are scrolling about for a new podcast, what's the first thing they look at? How many reviews it's got. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It will get us further up the results as well when when people search our type of podcast. Absolutely. So if you did enjoy it, please, as a big favour to us, just leave us a little review. Please. Pretty please. I would also like to make a request. Oh. If anyone fancies having a go at writing their own horror song. Oh, yeah. Write it. Send it in. I'm really crap at writing them. I'm more than happy to read it out on your behalf. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, if anyone wants to have a go, we'd love to hear yours and we we can read it out for the listeners and let them have a guess. Absolutely. And you'll get a shout out. Good idea. Another way to interact. But yes, those reviews, people, please, or subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us wherever you listen to the podcast. Every little bit helps. It really does because a load of work goes into this and we love doing it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I do. 
Yeah. Well, I do when I get the straw, we're supposed to be doing right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I do. And also, if if you do, we can we'll send you a screensaver. How about yeah. that? Yeah, for your phone or your laptop, we will yeah. we will do that. Yeah, I, I've had a request for one since we started recording, so I will get right on that. Fabulous! All right, guys, shall okay. we let these people go? Let it yeah. go. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye. Weird. Bye. Oh, sorry. I had hot dogs and I keep hot dog burping and it's really uh-huh. hot dog tasty. It's horrible. Yeah. That's another one for Becky Burps. It's, that's why. <laughs> hot dogs are so disgusting in general. Hot dogs <laughs> cucumber. What was that? <laughs> that was me sneezing. I thought, you, I thought you burped. I thought someone else burped. Let's all burp. Gipped. Let's get them all out. And cu- hot dogs and cucumbers... Always when you burp, like they really taste. Yeah, anyway. For something that literally is just made of water, cucumber is very potent. Isn't yeah, it? it repeats on you a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. You know it does. you've eaten one. Mm, I've eaten about half a cucumber today, so. Shall, shall we think about the editor here, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> right. Alan! Yeah. Alan! I'll remember that. <laughs> Was it a beaver? It's a ground dog or something, wasn't oh. it? Alan! 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 Oh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>